0: We're going to be in uh, Matthew chapter six. Tonight, we're going to keep moving through a series on, ch- like practices of the church. And, you know, we've talked about uh, what the practices are, like why does God have us uh, doing, like, act, like putting our hands to things, like actually doing things together when, we're, when we come together. And uh, um, some of them are sort of, sort of like spiritual disciplines, and some of them are, are uh, just about like just even physically coming together at all, you know, those kinds of things. Tonight we're going to talk about prayer. And so if, you, uh, if you've missed last week, uh, I would encourage you to check out the podcast and talking about the Lord's Supper. Um, there is a, a visual that you missed out on that I don't know how to recreate it. Maybe we'll put it on Instagram or something. But uh, if you could catch up on that one and catch up on the gathering of the saints, I feel like these few weeks together in the summer are going to be very important. Going forward, it feels like we're, we're kind of revisiting some fundamentals of, of like being a Christian church, and kind of making sure we're all on the same page about some stuff. Tonight, I'm going to talk about prayer, and we're going to talk about it, and then we're going to do it. And so I hope that's all right, that we're going to kind of put into practice some of the things that, that I'll share. I think that prayer is, um, it's something that if you're around Christianity for, for any length of time, uh, it doesn't take too long to figure out. There's basically like four things that we do, like that every, everybody does, as far as Christians. Um, we gather together, we read the Bible, we sing, and we pray. But those are kind of the four things that are, are are pretty much everywhere, you know. The Lord's Supper, everyone does, everyone like participates in it, but it, they're on different schedules. Some some are every week, some are like once a quarter, you know, that kind of stuff. Uh, baptism is like as needed, you know. Um, but like prayer is something that's like a couple of times in every worship service that that's, that happens. That you go to. And, and even then when you look at the Bible, there's just, it's just peppered all throughout Scripture from beginning to end. Like people praying and, and talking to God in this relationship that you have, it's just kind of a big deal. Um, and I think that in some ways, prayer might be the hardest of those four like kind of fundamental things. Because prayer is something you know that you're supposed to do, but very few people feel like they're doing it right. Am, am I correcting that? Like not like not like you're praying wrong, but very few people are like you know what the strongest part of my walk is my prayer life. You know, it's always one of those things where you're like, well, you know, I, I should probably pray more, and I don't pray enough, and sometimes I feel like I'm just talking to the air, and I don't really know if it does any good, and I don't know if He's hearing me, and I definitely don't know if I'm hearing Him, and uh, you know, we kind of just get caught up in the like the head game so much that it kind of becomes difficult, you know, because you can you can come to church and you can sit in here so you can gather and you can participate in the singing and you can even read along in the bible but prayer is one of those things where it's like what am i supposed to be doing you know when when the pastor is praying or cody or whoever's leading worship is praying like what am i supposed to be doing you know and then uh, how does that impact when i get home and what if this and this and this and this, and what if I don't have time, and what if, like, can you drive, can you drive and pray? Is that allowed? And um, can you do this, and is this prayer, does it have to be head bowed, eyes closed? Because that kind of prohibits praying as you know without ceasing. And, and there's just all these things that we get caught up in, and it's easy to kind of push away from it and, and have either a very low view of prayer to where it's, it's something that's just for, like, to open or close or transition in a worship service, you know, it's just, it's kind of the glue that holds the different parts together, or it's just for a crisis, or it's just for the really like truly pious, you know, to have that kind of low view of prayer, or we can have the the Jesus view of prayer, which is really deep yet simple, and so rather than get caught, getting caught up in in all of the questions, which are they significant, like those are all good things to wonder and. To seek, and a lot of those have been addressed here on Sunday nights, you know, at various points over the years. But if we're going to have like a one-shot sermon on the practices of the church in regard to prayer, where where do we start? And we're just going to start with Jesus, because no one no one understands prayer the way that he does. And luckily, we have his words as our rabbi, as he teaches us to pray. So let's uh, let's just look in Matthew chapter six. We're just going to go a little bit at a time. Um, Let's see what he has to say. Starting in verse 5. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. Alright, so let's, let's hit pause right there. Um, he's, he's helping them relax a little bit. Because in this day, the, the Pharisees and the, the uh, Sadducees and all these kinds of like, uh, church leaders, let's say, those who, that's who people were looking at as like, earthly models for what like, being a faithful Jew was supposed to look like. And apparently, public prayer was like, a, one of the things that they would do. And they would, they would pray very loudly. They would pray in, out in public. They probably had their disciples following them. And so it's supposed to look like, oh, that rabbi is modeling prayer for his disciples. But really what Jesus is saying is they're praying out loud to try to get your attention, to impress you and show you just how holy they are. He's like, don't don't fall for it. That that they're wearing it as a badge They're they're hung up in the wrong things. He says they do the, They do it to get a man's approval and they're getting their reward. Meaning, that's all that they're going to get. They're not getting God's, like God's well done for them. They're getting people being like, man, that guy can really pray. Jesus is like, just don't, don't buy into it. And, and here's, here I think, is the application for us. We probably don't, you probably don't walk downtown in Baton Rouge and there's like people standing up showing you how eloquent they're praying. You know, they might be yelling at you through a megaphone, but they're not showing you how eloquently they pray. Um, Get this going, um, but I think that the 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 issue here would be comparison for us. That apparently the disciples were insecure because they were seeing these standards of prayer and they were saying, "We don't know how to do that." And Jesus is saying, "Look, I don't want you to do that. That's not what, that's not what it's about." Look at, look at the next verse, verse six. But when you pray. Go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Okay, so this this is a really big moment for the disciples and for us. I'm going to fight this one more time before I give up on it. Just bear with me. I talk with my hands and it's easier this way than the stand-up comedian approach of carrying the mic around. Plus, I'm not very funny, so that's over two. Um, look at verse six. This is the second time that Jesus says, "When you pray." So, first of all, prayer is not—it's not this like optional thing. Like Jesus is assuming that we are going to pray because the people of God are people of prayer, and it's not unique to Christianity. But Jesus is—he's not. He, it's significant that he does not choose to say. When a crisis hits and you decide to pray, here's how you should do it. Or when you're transitioning in a worship service, this is how you should do it. Or when you open or close community group, this is how you do it. He's assuming that prayer is going to happen. He, wants them, he just wants them to like understand what is happening in the moment. And so prayer is not just reserved for the pious or for emergencies or for worship services. Prayer is like it is a fundamental part of following after Jesus. Disciples of Jesus pray. And so he says, when you pray, go into your room, shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. So he's contrasting it to the Pharisees who would pray out in public on the, the, the street corner really, really loud where everyone can hear them. Jesus says, instead of that being the image in your mind, the image that you need is a child who goes into their room, closes the door, and has a conversation with their dad. So if we can, as a church and as his people, if we can embrace that image, it's as simple as a child and their father having a conversation it's doesn't have to be more complicated than that now it's deep but it's simple and so if that is something that we can grab onto then prayer kind of it will take on a whole like new life you know it becomes something more more than ritual more than just something that we do it becomes like rooted in this relationship between us and our heavenly Father, it is it is safe, it is comforting, it is personal. And even if, like, regardless of what kind of earthly father you have as an example, you know, because some people would would read that and they would say that's a terrifying scenario in my upbringing. Well. I am mean, sensitive to that. We all should be sensitive to that. Regardless of where your earthly father or mother or parents or whoever falls on the spectrum of awesomeness, Jesus is saying with prayer, that's the image that you need to be working toward. And if there's a hang-up there because of the word Father, uh, then that's something to work through, not to just abandon prayer because of. And so if that, can be, if that can be kind of the image that we're like trying more and more to automatically connect to the word prayer, you know, to where when someone says, let's pray, your automatic response is, let me go into the room, sit on my bed and talk to dad. You know, we're like, that's the default. Hey, it's time to talk to dad. Cool. Let me let me focus in, you know. When you go in, and if you pray with your kids at night, it's like, hey, let's talk to dad. Like big dad. If that's what your community group does, is let's 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 go on behalf of one another into the prayer closet together and let's let's collectively talk to dad. On a Sunday night, we're that's what we're doing, we're talking to Dad. Now as as ideal as that image can be, within that that simple description, uh, there comes a big hang-up, I think, for a lot of us. And I'll include myself in that, uh, absolutely. And the hang-up is this, is that when I say it's as simple as a conversation between a father and child, the, the word conversation implies a dialogue. And isn't that like kind of maybe the, the most annoying thing about prayer? Is you have this pressure that's put on you not by the Bible or by Jesus, but just kind of like by church culture or just by our own expectations, that every time you go into your room and you close the door and you pray to your Father, as Jesus says, whether that's in your car or you know, wherever it is, it doesn't really matter, there is this pressure of like, oh, okay, so I'm going to go have a conversation and so I'm going to talk and then he's going to talk. and then. But what happens if I don't hear him talking back? And there are times when we don't initiate prayer because we are worried either about what he will like, how he will respond, or that we won't be able to hear him, and that just frustrates us even more. And so it kind of works into this cycle where you know you're supposed to be praying and you want to pray, like you want to be like an, a warrior, for, you know, like you want to be one of those people who's like, let's throw it down now, but these insecurities work their way in there, and of course we have this enemy that likes to cap- capitalize on that, and we end up being kind of paralyzed in prayer because we're, we're kind of expecting something that maybe isn't happening all the time. And so as great as the image of a child and their father having a conversation, as great as that is, it brings with it some, maybe some unmet expectations that can be really frustrating, and I get that completely. And so maybe, maybe conversation is not the right word. Um, I think it 's the right image, like the image of a child sitting on the bed, Dad pulls up a chair, and they're they 're talking that 's the right image, but maybe there 's a different word besides communication that would help us uh, in our like kind of understanding of things so john Piper uh, uh, he 's a retired pastor now author written, you know, written a bunch of books. He talks about how in the Bible prayer is Prayer is never really like a like a dialogue. It's always a monologue. How biblically prayer is is a person or a group of people are intentionally communicating and conveying something to God. So it's if if you want to think in terms of like like heaven and earth, that it's going from heaven I mean, from earth to heaven exclusively. That's prayer. Is we're just we're sending messages. We're sending messages. We're sending messages. And that God responding to that—that that that's he—he he says that that's biblically that's revelation. That's not also prayer. That prayer is us to God, and revelation is God to us. Okay. Now I think I think that that that, that Piper is great on some things. I think that Piper is not so great on some other things. So I'm not like a Piperite by any means, but I understand what he's saying. But I think that it is maybe a little bit too narrow. That if, if we're going to think of prayer as primarily being us conveying things to God, if it's a child talking to their father and the child's doing most of the talking, okay, I can get on board with that. But I think where, where the breakdown comes is what is God doing in response to that? He may be speaking, but he may be doing a bunch of other things too. If you think of a child sitting there in their room with their dad and they're just talking, they're talking, they're talking, they're talking. Well, first of all, dad's present in the room. Two, we're going ideally here, dad is holistically present. Like he's physically present and he's emotionally present and available. And he's spiritually dialed in to what's going on. And so he is completely locked in on what you're saying. And as that kid is talking and talking and talking, doesn't the holistic presence of the father, doesn't that convey something in return? Isn't that kind of dialogue that's happening? The fact that the that the father is giving the child undivided attention that speaks deeply to the child. And so while the, the dad may just sit there and listen and listen and listen and love every second of it, and he may not say a word, he might just pick the kid up and just hug him. That's still saying something in return. And so maybe instead of, instead of us thinking of a conversation between father and child, maybe, maybe it's, just, it's communication between father and child. Like active communication that's happening. And for us, if us if our role is it's mostly words, which i would i would include I would include songs in there, I would include journaling in there, I would include a lot of things in prayer but let's let's focus on words if we're doing mostly verbal praying, God may not verbally like audibly say a word back to us it, but that doesn't mean that we aren't having a dialogue, it may be in return you get peace you get an assurance of his presence you get the renewal of your mind and the aftershocks you know that what comes in the wake of a renewed mind you may get all kinds of goodness and never never hear him say a word or never sense him giving you a specific word or direction or whatever and so it might be as simple as a child as you saying saying father i I love you and but this is really difficult right now and I have no idea what to do and you're just going and going and going and going and you're like at the end you're like in Jesus name amen the assurance of his presence the fact that your prayers are heard by him the fact that he loves you, the fact that those prayers are being prayed, being led by the Holy Spirit, prayed through Jesus as your intercessor to the Father, that the whole Trinity is involved there. Maybe if we are expecting to walk out of every prayer time with some like beams from heaven, angels are there, we know, you know, some sort of like big moment, then maybe we're expecting the wrong thing. That maybe we need to think of it as, I'm just going to be faithful, a faithful child that's just going to communicate a ton of stuff. To the Father, And however he wants to respond, it could be audible, it could be a vision, it could be a dream, it could just be the assurance of his presence, it could be peace that goes beyond all understanding. It could be the fact that when I walk out of that prayer time, I'm thinking straight again, I've got my wits about me, I'm just not a maniac anymore. Whatever that might be for you, letting him respond as a good father, that's a part of it. And so I think it is a dialogue. It just might not be an audible, word-driven dialogue. And so Jesus says, "When you pray, don't pray like, don't follow the weird examples. follow this example. Go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father, who is unseen. And what does, it, what does He say? God the response will be, "And your Father, who sees in secret, will reward you." Maybe we need to have a really, really broad understanding of what that word reward means. I love it when I feel like God is like audibly telling me something, but it is rare. But he, Him responding in a variety of ways is absolutely consistent every single time. So that's, that's the image that we need with prayer. Communication between father and child. Whether it's you by yourself, you and your spouse, you and your family, you and your best friends, you and your community group, you and your church. It's all the same, same kind of thing. And so he goes on, verse 7, says, And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases, as the Gentiles do, for they think they'll be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Again, He's like, don't get hung up in it. You know, The mechanics are not as important as this one glaring thing that we're about to see. It is the heart of the child. He is not impressed by your words. He doesn't shake His head when you're like, I cannot believe you just asked Jesus to do that, when clearly the Holy Spirit does that. He's not hung up in the mechanics of those kinds of things. If you get the order of prayer wrong, like if you kind of have a structure that you like to pray within and you get it jumbled up, it's fine. If you're praying and driving, it's fine. If you're sitting there and you're like, I don't really want to pray, but I have no idea how to pray about this, it's fine. It's about the heart of the child that comes before the Lord. So, verse 9, let me just walk through the Lord's Prayer really quickly. He says, verse 9, pray like this Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Now, that in and of itself, and we could hang out for a long time on this, I'm going to try to give it the appropriate amount of time. Let's, let's keep in mind what's happening here. The disciples have asked Jesus, will you teach us how to pray because you are our rabbi and we want to learn. And this is important to our rabbi and it should be important to us. And so Jesus is handing to them um, the, the embodiment of his own prayer life. We're getting a backstage pass. But we're also getting this like future trajectory of prayer for his disciples. These are the guys who are going to go on to like found the church and build and begin to build her. These are going to become the pastors and the martyrs. These are the disciplers. These are the ones who are going to take this and run with it. And so he's giving them. Like a blueprint for how, do you, how are my disciples supposed to navigate the ridiculousness of the world? Here. Jesus has experienced it. He's had 30-something years of life on the earth. He gets it. And so he's like, Here, here's how I pray. Here's how, here's how you should pray. Not really word for word necessarily, but from the heart. And he begins, he says, our Father... And so Jesus, like this is a sibling prayer. This is Jesus, your brother. Like big brother, sitting down with little brother, little sister, saying, okay, look, let me show you how to do this. First you need to start off, and you say, our Father. So he's including you in his life. He's including me in his life. He's including us. He's saying, as brothers and sisters together in the family... We're going to our Father. That's stunning to me. That in prayer, we have another one of those moments where heaven and earth intersect, and they fuse together. Because he says, our Father in heaven. He doesn't say our Father who is very far away. I hope you can hear this. The belief that heaven and earth are... are, are intersecting and overlaying and, and, and interacting. The fact that heaven is not this like far away up there kind of thing, but it's a God is present with us. And so He's saying, "Our Father, like our like we as siblings are praying." This Jesus is has pulled you up next to Him as little brother, little sister, and saying, "Our Father, us, you and me, our Father, who is not far away, our Father who is with us in this room. We've gone into this room and we've closed the door." our father who's sitting across from us your name is holy it's honored it's hallowed it's it's separate it's look who our father is this is a it's a mysteriously beautiful moment where family and deity like like fuse together in this amazing combination so with the Lord's Supper, we talked about the, the past and the future are pulled into the present. And heaven and earth are pulled into the present. And, and you and I come together and there's this moment where all these points are converging. And, and prayer kind of does the same thing. It's, it is heaven and earth. It's, it's, it is the past and the present. And it is us coming together. It has that same inward drive in this moment. And Jesus is saying, hey, this is family time right now. That the ruler, creator, sustainer of heaven and earth is your dad. And he's sitting in the room and he's paying attention to you. He hadn't had a bad day. He's not tired. He's not looking at his watch, checking his phone, he doesn't have other things to do. He's not stressed about work. He's not worried about paying the mortgage. He's not trying to fix the alternator on the car. Like he's here in the room. And he's like, What I'm here. What's this time is yours because he's that massive. Like he can he doesn't have to divide himself up like we have to divide our attention and our energy and that's not at all a slight on any earthly parent or any adult person or anything like that. We have to subdivide ourselves. We're just not God in that way, but he doesn't have to do that. And so our Father who is in heaven, like who is in heaven but yet has come to us in this moment in this heaven and earth colliding kind of thing in this room whatever the room may be your name is holy and he just exalts God and then in verse 10 he says your kingdom come your will be done on earth as it is in heaven you're sitting there and you're having that conversation you're having that communication with God and you're showering God with accolades and then you're saying Your kingdom is really all that matters. It has this this alignment that happens. This is how Jesus prayed and He's telling His disciples to pray, is know who who you are and whose you are and remember what you're here to do. That in that moment, you're like, I cannot believe that your kingdom, that I get to be a part of that, and that it can be on earth as it is in heaven. And it has this, this way of, of like aligning our minds and our hearts with him. And so you're telling Jesus, you're like, I'm on board with, with everything that we're doing. Jesus sees this as essential for his disciples to be praying constantly. Your kingdom come here. Your will be done here. Just like in heaven. We want heaven to, be like, like to come near on the earth. That's the heart of who we are. And so if we can think of the, the Lord's Prayer not as a blueprint, blueprint to be repeated, but as like, look at the heart of a child of God who comes before him and is kind of overwhelmed with who our dad is. And then we're saying, Dad, we got stuff to do. Let's, we're in. We're in. Let's, let's do this. All of our jobs and our families and our church and our communities and everything that we have going on and our money and our gifts and our time and all those kinds of things all of it is channeled in this one direction to the glory of God through his kingdom being real today and so that's the heart of prayer is us bringing ourselves before the Lord and being like this this is what's this is it this is what's important then verse 11 says give us this day our daily bread the heart of, of the child that comes in prayer is one who is not, not necessarily feeling like, i got to ask God for bread because he doesn't know that I need bread. That's not the point. It's good to ask God for bread, but he knows that you need bread. What's coming out of this prayer is the heart of a child who trusts their dad. And so not only are we overwhelmed with who our father is, and who our brother is. But we're tied into this family business. And as a part of that, we know he's going to provide what we need. And so this is more of a statement than a big like r- request. Or maybe it's like 60-40. I don't really know. But it's absolutely a statement of saying, you, I know that you're the one that supplies my needs. I know that. You know what my needs are. They come from you. So this is me expressing my faith and my trust in you as my provider of my daily needs. Verse 12, And forgive us our debts as we, have, uh, as we also have forgiven our debtors. The heart of, of a child who is praying to their father understands the heartbeat of the kingdom and is forgiveness not like one of like the glaring banners that the kingdom of God is waving That we know in, in this world that we're in, we tend to hurt each other. We hurt others, and we're hurt by others, and this is kind of like happening all the time. And when we sit down with our father, we're, we're sitting there and we're being like, okay, I understand that I'm wounded and that I'm a one who wounds. And so forgiveness is kind of both given and received. And so it's the heart of a child who understands, like, this is what we're here to do. The kingdom coming near, it's, when it's about forgiveness, it is, like, it is one of the most unique manifestations of the kingdom of God in all the world that we know. We see it with, with compassion and mercy and all these kinds of things, but isn't forgiveness kind of unique? Whenever you are able to forgive someone or someone else forgives you and we take communion on God's forgiveness of us, it, it carries a kind of weight And so the heart of a child who comes in prayer and understands that Jesus is the forgiver. And we receive it from him and we pass it on to other people. And it's a steady rhythm of our lives, just like daily bread, that we're constantly coming before him. And we're confessing and we're repenting and we're asking for his help in moving forward and being able to extend that same gospel forgiveness to others. Verse 13, he says, And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Jesus knows the battle. He understands temptation, and he knows how to, he's the only one who knows how to make it through without sinning. And he understands the battle in terms of the like shrapnel and destruction that comes from the church succumbing to that kind of temptation and attack. He, he gets it. He saw it everywhere he went. He wept over it. It was a burden for him. And so he's telling his disciples, you need to regularly pray and ask the Father for help in regard to sin and temptation. There's a ton of humility in the Lord's Prayer. When you're saying, Will you provide for me? I will not be my own provider in a primary sense. Will you forgive me? I'm incapable of forgiveness. Outside of your help. Will you help me overcome temptation? Because my willpower alone is not enough to get it done. It's not about that. Jesus is saying: the heart of a child who who goes into the, their room, closes the door, sits down on the bed, and, and communicates with the Father is filled with humility and honesty. And understands the kingdom and what we're about. What we're here to do. What is important. And those manuscripts that add, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. It it has this way of framing it. This really powerful idea that, you know what, this is not about you. Prayer is not about you. Worship is not about you. The Lord's Supper is not about you. Everything is primarily about blessing our God, and then in return we receive all these incredible benefits because he's super generous like that. And so we see the heart of a disciple. As children, we come to our perfect, perfect Father. We humbly come before him to communicate love, trust, need, and mission we follow Jesus down the path that he provides to approach the throne of grace with confidence love and trust and need and mission there's this alignment that happens and so when we're thinking correctly about prayer communication between father and child the child just commu- just i mean just showering dad with everything our father Rewarding us, either with direction or just with presence or peace or any, just a wide, under, wide range there. If that is constantly happening and we're, we're understanding that we just come before God saying, I love you, I trust you, I'm ready, I need you. If that's in place and we're thinking correctly about it, we're, we're lined up with Jesus and what prayer is then there is, no really, there is no real question about why do we pray. It then becomes, why, why don't we pray? You know, like When you're thinking about it like that, you're like, why, why in the world would I... Why would I say no to that invitation? Because that's essentially what Jesus is doing with the Lord's prayers. He's inviting you into like a prayer life that is deep and meaningful and real. When his disciples said, we well, you teach us to pray?" He could have said, "Now figure it out." He was like, "No, I'll tell uh, Here, do it like this." So, why don't we pray? Lots of reasons. I think it's it's easy to to um, to convince ourselves that the reasons why we don't pray is because of like because we have a lot of questions, we don't really understand it right, you know, that kind of stuff. Like we need to have a thorough understanding of it before we'll actually engage in it and then that you know there's probably some of that, but what I've experienced like personally walking with the Lord and just being in ministry for a long time um I've narrowed it down to four um, some of it is because we don't think correctly about prayer, like some of it is because it's you know it's considered ritual or some of those like Dialogue issues I was talking about expecting God to like speak in a big loud, audible voice, and if he doesn 't then you like aren 't doing it right and you 're you know a bad Christian or whatever. I think that some of it is that, but I think there are, are other times when people like their like prayerlessness comes from just believing that God really isn 't that involved, you know like like he doesn 't really care about you a whole lot that he 's not like the good Father sitting across from you like completely holistically present dialed into what you're saying that he's he really is off like taking care of stuff in the middle East or something like he's uh he's out doing other things that you're not as important as other people that your your needs are only like a three on the one to ten like emergency scale and so why would he why would he mess with with that you know that you 've messed up too much that you're too far gone that you're just whatever all these reasons that we come up with to convince ourselves that as great as it sounds. To be a child who goes into their room and closes the door and prays to their father, it just doesn't work that way for you. Um, That we buy into those lies and uh, make ourselves an exception to what Jesus is saying. When Jesus never offers an exception to prayer. When you pray, go into your room. Close the door. Pray to your father who is unseen. Just as you are. You don't have to get all cleaned up. You don't have to get your ducks in a row. You don't have to figure everything else out. You don't have to do all these ritualistic things and then come in. He's like, "When you pray, this is how you need to do it." So stop adding in like qualifiers and stop believing lies that keep you from being that faithful child that you are and want to be. Third thing, self-centeredness that leads to a life just out of order. Yeah. You're just you got your head down, you're just burrowing your way through life. You ain't got time to pray. Which we all know that you, that's, you're, you need the prayer the most, but just overall self-centeredness that just kind of removes prayer from being something that we, is really important to us. And we just kind of go through life and you know, kind of catch up on it later. And the fourth thing is, is a massive lack of humility and teachability. That a lot of times we don't pray because we really don't think we need God that much. We think we're pretty smart. We we can probably figure it out. So it's kind of like this. It's kind of taking the Lord's prayer and sort of like turning it inside out is why we don't pray. Our Father in Heaven, we're like, I don't even know if He's my Father. I definitely don't feel like He's near. So we feel like He's super distant, so why pray? Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You're like, have you watched the news? Have you seen anything? that ain't happening. God's not actively involved. You know, we we become we become like functioning deists, basically, who are like just pretending like God has has wound up the universe and it's just like kind of like it's going. He's sitting back being like, whoa, I can't believe that just happened. We become convinced of that. We don't come to him for for the things that we need. We don't trust him as our provider because we trust ourselves. We don't Come about forgiveness because we don't want to confess things. We don't. We don't like want to to deal with the shrapnel that comes from sin and that kind of stuff. The enemy is just having a field day, and so we don't really know what to do with that. And so we're just not very humble. We're not very teachable. We're not open-handed. We just we don't really think that prayer makes that big a difference. And then something ridiculous happens, like the shooting in Orlando, and you have all these people on Facebook who are like, "Your prayers are worthless. Don't say you're going to pray for people. Send them money. Send." go donate blood, do something that actually makes a difference. It's so easy to kind of believe that, you know. When in reality, prayer is the most powerful thing we can do for anyone ever. Now, prayer moves you to act. I think those things go together, absolutely, but we can't for a second sit back and think that our prayers are completely powerless. The enemy wants us to believe that. Our own flesh is going to lean toward that, and so even in prayer, we need God to help us. So, God, would you help me to pray? It's a beautiful prayer, one I believe that thrills Him deeply. So, let me offer you something that might be helpful. Um, you know, sometimes when when you are you kind of get you hear something, and you like you hear what Jesus is saying, and you're like, I I I, I want to be that person. You know, like I want to I want to have that kind of relationship with the father. Like I want to I want to trust him. I want to I want to have that. And you want that hopefully like if you're married, I hope that you want that within your marriage. If you have kids, I hope that you're wanting to cultivate that in your kids. Like I hope that you're wanting them to grow up praying and understanding what it means. You want your community group like doing like doing work together in this deep way as a church, like you you would not believe the stories that are out there like, if you studied like church history and revivals. But also when you when you hear and you read of stories of churches like like their like rapid growth and discipleship, and I'm not talking about like the like shallow stuff. I'm talking about like deep deep works of revival and people coming to know Christ and all these miracles and stuff. Every single time, it begins when they got serious about praying and asking God to do, like, for real stuff among them. That's at the beginning, that's the first chapter of every one of those stories that's been written. There's just countless ones out there. When the people of God get for real about prayer, then God's nearness is tangible. His kingdom shows up on the earth, and and you become humble and hungry for more and more and more and more and that teachability falls into place and the lies go away and you see God moving in a way that's just like, it's not explainable but it's palpable, you know? And so if, you, if you're like, man, I really want, I want my prayer life to, I want to move like forward. There's a long, long time people have been using this, uh, this very, very simple acronym to help kind of structure their prayer lives. Now, if you want to use the Lord's Prayer as a model, I would encourage you to do that. There's tons of, of ways to break that down and, and help w- with that. And there, There's just so many things you can do biblically, but the, the, a phenomenal starting place is to use the, the acronym ACTS. People have been doing it for years, ACTS. The A stands for adoration. That so you begin just adoring the Lord. I mean, you're just telling Him. How awesome He is. I mean, Jesus begins His prayer with that as well. The C stands for confession. It's like a consistent part of your life to be like, okay, I need to own up to some stuff. Boom, 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 boom. The T is thanksgiving. Just, I mean, just straight up just being grateful and actively thanking Him. And the S stands for supplication. That's when you're asking Him to supply your needs. So we see Jesus adoring. We see confession as a part of the Lord's Prayer. We see supplication as a part of the Lord's Prayer. And we see thanksgiving throughout the entire Bible. I mean, the whole like, Levitical system was largely built around thanking God for, what he, for all His provision. So the word acts, if that helps you, give you just like a mode to pray through, and you just begin to like, commit to something like that, it doesn't have to be that, it could be anything, but you're like, no, I'm going to start. I'm going to get serious about this. As a child, as a group of children, I've who who knows what what could happen. Now, none of this is is me saying that I think that we are like prayerless as a church. I think I think that we pray, but I think God is wanting to stir us. I think He's wanting. Uh, through some of these practices and through some of the things we're talking about on Wednesday nights, like some of those things to begin to solidify, to fan some things into flame, and for us to to move like into another season um, of some seriousness about what we're here to do. And prayer has got to be a part of that. It is, it's essential. It's not an option. It's like it's a part of following Jesus. And I'm sure that you want, to be, you want to experience the depths of that. And so what we're going to do is we're going to pray through that, that kind of fourfold deal for a few minutes tonight. And um, so, again, as I said in the beginning, we're going to do some things a little bit differently. And this will be a little bit different, And so just roll with it if you can. Um, so we're going to pray through those four things. Uh, the elders are going to come, and we're just going to... It'll kind of be in, in two shifts, all right? So for each letter... I'm going to kind of guide you through. I'll guide you through something that's like you. It's, this is you praying, you and Jesus. And then one of the elders is going to pray for that letter, but but he's going to pray like corporately on behalf of all of us. Now, let me let me address that real quick. What do you do when someone's praying corporately? If you're anything like me most of my life, you just kind of bow your head, close your eyes, and wait for, until it's over with. It's okay if that's you. Let me Let me... Introduce a possibility that maybe as someone is praying over us, whether it's one of the elders, whether it's a worship leader, whether it's a community group leader, whatever is happening, that your role to sit there is to actively listen. And when they say something that you like, you agree with them. Now you can nod your head, you can say it completely to yourself, mm-hmm, you know. Or you can say it out loud. You could grunt. You could do whatever you want to do. But when someone is praying, and if they're begging the Holy Spirit to come and work, and you're going, yes, yes, and you're listening, and you're echoing, and you're agreeing with what they're doing, this, this, it changes the temperature of the room. And so if God is responding to the prayers of His people... If one person is praying and everyone else has their head bowed and eyes closed and they're just waiting for it to be over with, that's one situation he's responding to. If one person is praying and the whole room is going, yes, me too, absolutely, love it, amen, what he said, I agree, Uh uh-huh, whatever. When that's happening, then that's a different situation. And so let's give him some things to respond to. So I'll guide you through the letter A, and you'll pray for yourself. And then one of the elders is going to pray on behalf of all of us. And I want you to practice listening to what they're saying and agreeing, either internally or out loud. It doesn't, doesn't really matter. There's not going to be any music in the background, so I hope that's okay. Um, you can come down here and kneel and pray for this. You can stand up. You can, for each letter, take on a different posture. Whatever you want to do, doesn't really matter. But we need to practice this together. Like we, Hear me out. We need to practice this together. And so we're going to pray for a little bit. And, um, and then we're going to sing, there'll be one song, a chance to take communion if you like, and then we'll be done, okay? So, um, here's, here's I'm, I'm going to start off, I'm going to ask everyone to stand, I'm ask the elders to come on up. Greg, I'm going to have them use this mic. Um, if you would like to come and kneel, or do you just kind of like to come down at the front, uh, for this, you can do that. You can kneel where you are. You can, like I said, you can uh, make adjustments as we go. I don't think this will be like forty-five minutes or anything, but it'll be like maybe more than some of you want to kneel. Um, but just let let us guide you along, and just humor me for a few minutes. Let's really participate in this together. Humor me in a good good spiritual way, right? And let's let's pray together as God's people. Okay, so. Um, so let's start with the first one. So you can bow your head, you can close your eyes, you can come down to the front, you can move around the room however you like. You can sit down at any point. Um, it's completely up to you. But let's just begin. And you just very simply and humbly, in whatever words that you choose, just to yourself. If you can just put yourself in that image of a child who's gone to his room to communicate with the Father, and you just begin by just telling him how awesome he is, who he is to you, for you, with you, over you, in you, to bless him with those kinds of prayers. You just spend a minute or so doing that, and then Taylor's going to pray for us.